Hello, ladies. Hello, it is so good to see all of you. Isn't it good to be back? What a joy to be back. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and uh, I am so happy to be here with you today. Welcome back. And I also want to say welcome to those of you that are here for the very first time at Women in the Word. Um, if, if you are here for the very first time and you don't mind, raise your hand so we can welcome you. Are there people here? Yeah. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for coming and studying God's Word together with all of us. Um, we took a break from Women in the Word in November for the holidays. We've had Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and now here we are in January uh, 2019. And I uh, just about have all my Christmas decorations put away. Um, a couple sacks I noticed today and a few uh, pieces of china, but hopefully I can get those put up. Is there anybody else in here that still has something left over from Christmas that you haven't gotten put up? Whoa, okay, that makes me feel a lot better. Thank you for those hands. Yeah, and so now it's January, and this is the time that we make resolutions and we set goals. You know, uh, truthfully, I'm just about over goals. They've made it so complicated. You know, you have to have um, a plan of action, and then you have to have ways of measuring your goals to see if you're, okay. you know, I, I'm just about done. But I did see something new this year. Um, when I went to work, I'm a nurse at one of the local hospitals, and so right after the New Year's, went to work and... Uh, in the break room, our manager had put up this little bag of paper trees, and we were to write on it a word for the year, our word for the year, and then sign our name and put it up on the bulletin board. So I thought, hey, I can do that. I can come up with one word for the year. So we were pretty busy, and I kind of wrote joy as my word and stuck it up with my name on the bulletin board. I think it was kind of a holdover from Christmas. But um, anyway, I've been thinking about that word for uh, these last few days and thinking maybe I needed to add something else, another word to that. Uh, what would be my word for this year? And um, I began to think of prayer. Prayer needs to be my word for 2019. And I um, th thought of that because I have been looking at the Psalms and I've been studying the Psalms because this semester we are going to be studying the book of Psalms. And the Psalms are all about prayer. Maybe you want to make prayer your word for 2019 as we study the Psalms. But let's talk for a minute about the Psalms. You know, many things have been said about Psalms. There's many quotes. Everyone has a thought about Psalms. And many people, a great many, will say they love the Psalms. It's their favorite book in the Bible, and they read Psalms every day. I, too, love the Psalms. But if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I uh, will have to say that wasn't always the case. Um, now, I read the Psalms when I was a little girl. I memorized Psalm 23. I memorized Psalm 100. But when I was in my 20s, um, if you had asked me my favorite book in the Bible, it wouldn't have been Psalms. In fact, I was more likely to be reading Proverbs, those little quick, short um, statements about skillful living, those little um, statements that tell us about God's right or wrong. You know, you didn't have to uh, think about them for very long. You didn't have to ponder them. You could just read them and do them. And I was on the go. I had places to go, people to see, things to do. And so it was perfect for me. Then I had children, and I had more things to do. 
And then one day, a gal said to me, you know, Deb, the Psalms really need to be read slowly and thoughtfully. You need to think about them. You need to ponder them. Now, I love that word ponder. I looked it up uh, in the dictionary. It means to carefully consider or to think deeply about something. You need to ponder them. And over the years, I've come to realize that that is so true about the Psalms. They need to be read slowly and carefully and thoughtfully. So if you are here today and um, you like the Psalms, but maybe you wouldn't say they're your favorite um, book of the Bible, you don't read them every day, then um, you are in the right place. Because this semester, we are going to look at just one Psalm every week. Just one Psalm. And they're mostly pretty short. They're less than 20 verses. And so you will have plenty of time when you do your study questions to think about it and to read it over more than once. And you might find yourself going deeper into the psalm, getting closer to the Lord. You may be seeing and understanding things that you never saw before in the psalm. You might even see an experience in that psalm that resonates with an experience in your own life. And I think in April, when we come to the end of this study, you will say, I appreciate the Psalms. Maybe you will even say, I love the Psalms. For those of you that already love the Psalms, you too are in the right place because you know you can never read the Psalms enough. You can never sing and pray the Psalms enough. You can never study the Psalms enough. So I am glad that we are all here, ready to study the book of Psalms. Um, the book of Psalms, we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. I'm going to give you some general information, and then we're going to look at Psalm 16. So um, the book of Psalms is made up of 150 individual psalms. Each psalm was written individually and then later collected into uh, one book. And there are several different authors of the psalms. One is David. David, the great king of Israel, the one that's called a man after God's own heart. He was a shepherd boy, and he was a warrior. And he sang and played um, the harp or a harp-like instrument, the lyre, very skillfully. And we see that in 1 Samuel 16. Um, David wrote almost half the psalms. Almost half the Psalms were written by David. And then there is Asaph. He is a contemporary of David's. He's a Levitical priest and musician. And he wrote 12 of the Psalms. Uh, Sons of Korah, they are a group of musicians and composers. They wrote 10 of the Psalms. And then there's two guys, Heman and Ethan, and they each wrote a psalm. Now, they were students of Ezra, and Ezra was the priest who led the Israelites out of captivity um, from Babylon and back to Jerusalem. And there he helped rebuild the temple, and he reinstituted worship. And so the psalms are very important to him. And then we have uh, two psalms written by Solomon, David's son. He was king after David. And then one psalm written by Moses. And those of you that have been studying Exodus and Numbers with us, we know Moses very well. So um, that leaves 50 psalms, about 50 psalms that are anonymous. And um, we're not sure who wrote those, although some people think Ezra might have written some of them. So from Moses to Ezra, the Psalms span about a thousand years. So they were written over a long period of time. And um, they were written, all written, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
uh, the, in the Hebrew Bible, the title they use is Tehillim. And that Hebrew word means praises. And so that is a good word for um, the book of Psalms because the Psalms are all about praises. They're praises to the Lord. It's the largest category of Psalms in the book of Psalms. And almost every Psalm has at least one verse in it that is a praise lifted up to the Lord. Our title, Psalms, that word Psalms, comes from a Greek word which means a poem sung to string instruments. A poem sung to, sing, to string instruments. So the Psalms are poetry. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that um, the Psalms must be read as poetry if they are to be understood. Poetry is emotional language. It is real from the heart. One quote said the Psalms are uh, downright reality. Downright reality. They're not pie in the sky. They're not some floating around flowery stuff. They are downright reality. Gritty and real. The Psalms are real. The emotions and the feelings are real. And we can all relate to them. Feelings of trouble and triumph. Feelings of sadness and gladness. Feelings of fear and hope. Now, poetry um, sometimes can be a little hard to understand. And maybe some of you kind of, you know, got a little nervous when we said psalms or poetry. So I want to take a minute and just talk about some of the techniques used in Hebrew poetry. The uh, first technique they use is called parallelism. Now, parallelism is when there are two lines, sometimes three, but usually two lines that um, are trying to fully express one idea. And so the two lines are parallel with each other. They're next to each other. Now, sometimes the two lines are similar, and this gives emphasis to that idea. And I have an example on your verse sheet. We all have verse sheets here and an outline. On your verse sheet, you see Psalm 19.1, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. So those two lines really um, say kind of the same thing, that look up, see God's uh, handiwork. Uh, another example of parallelism is when the two lines express opposite views of the same idea. And we see that in Psalm 1-6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but, and you'll usually see that conjunction but in this kind of um, parallelism, but the way of the wicked will perish. And then a third kind of parallelism uh, is when the second line expands the meaning. It tells us more about that first line, more about the idea. And we see that in Psalm 25, verse 6, where it says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. God's love is not new. It's from of old. Second technique Hebrew poetry uses is imagery. Imagery is poetic language. It helps us um, to, it's picture language, actually. Uh, it's pictures that help us get the picture. So a little humor there, you can laugh. Um, of course the images, 
are from um, ancient times, Bible times, but they're usually so powerful and so vivid that they're easily understood. And it's the imagery in the Psalms that touch our hearts. All of our senses are involved as we read the Psalms because of the imagery. We see what the psalmist is saying. We hear what he's saying. We can even taste it. An example of that is in Psalm 119, 103. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Um, God's word is sweet. And when we see that imagery, sweeter than honey to my mouth, we get that, we all know how sweet honey is, how good it is. And that's what it's telling us about God's word. It is sweet to our taste. And a third kind of, um, a third technique in Hebrew poetry is hyperbole. And that word means exaggeration. You know, and my husband accuses me of speaking in hyperbole. When I'm hungry, I say, I'm starving. And when I'm cold, I say, I'm freezing to death. That's exaggeration. And the Psalms sometimes use that as well. An example is Psalm 6.6. The psalmist says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. So we get the picture here. The psalmist is sad. He's really sad. And, and, and we can almost picture him floating around uh, on his bed on this sea of tears. Um, that's exaggeration, but it helps us to know how very sad the psalmist is. So we will see that in the psalms as well. So being aware of these Hebrew um, techniques of poetry, I hope will help us understand the psalms a little bit better as we study them. The psalms are also... Songs, they are poetry and they are songs. Songs of the heart, songs sung to the Lord. Many of the psalms were sung by musicians in temple worship or in tabernacle worship or in public corporate worship. Some of them may have been sung personally and individually to the Lord. The psalms have been called the hymn book of the Bible and we still sing the psalms today. Maybe not the whole psalm, but verses from Psalms. One that comes to my mind is, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You remember that song. That comes, first verse of Psalm 103. Even Martin Luther used the Psalms as he wrote um, his hymns. The great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Martin Luther took that from Psalm 46. So the Psalms are um, songs, and you might try, as you do your study questions this week, um, singing the psalm. Now, I also, I was told to remind you guys there's three pages of study questions. We only had one today, but three pages next week. Okay, so as you read your short psalm, you might want to try reading it again and singing it. Make up your own tune and just sing it out loud and see if you get any added insight. You know, the Psalms are really just theology that is sung. Now, that word theology means the study of the nature of God and religious truths. And the Psalms tell us all about who God is, what he's done, what he will do. And it also shows us the thoughts and the feelings of human beings. And you can think back, um, in the ancient times, they didn't have a lot of written scripture, and some of them couldn't read. But they could remember the truths about God by singing the psalms. They would remember the words of the psalms as they sang them, and they'd be able to remember the truths about God. 
We, um, the early Christians also used the Psalms as their hymn book, and um, every time I read that, I think about J. Vernon McGee and his quote about Psalms. He says the Psalms are all about Jesus. You see Jesus all through them. They are about him, H-I-M. So he calls the Psalms the H-I-M, hymn book of the Bible. The Psalms are also prayers. The psalmists are talking to God in every kind of situation, good times, bad times, all kinds of situations. And prayer is just that, talking and listening to God. But prayer often seems difficult. It seems difficult to me. Sometimes it seems a little awkward. I don't know what to say to the Lord. And that makes sense that it would be awkward because we're praying to the Holy God, the creator of the universe. And that's what is so good about Psalms. They teach us what to say to the Lord and how to say it. As we read the Psalms, we find real people calling out to God, speaking to the Lord in real situations with real emotions, honest words, authentic words from the heart. Have you ever thought, I really don't know how to pray? Or maybe you've thought, I really don't know what to say to the Lord right now. Or maybe you have had this thought, if I could just pray like, and fill in the blank. You know, in the Psalms, we find that prayer is not a flowery, advanced language. It is basic language. It's elemental. It's organic language with honest and true and personal words responding to God all the time and in all situations. And Jesus even prayed the Psalms. His last words on the cross, Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit, that is a line taken from Psalm 31, verse 5. I didn't put that on your verse sheet, so you might want to look at it later. Psalm 31, verse 5, Jesus praying the Psalms. So this is the goal of this study of Psalms, that we will be drawn to talk to God as we read and think about the psalmist's words to God. And there are different kinds of psalms, prayers, um, in there. Some are called laments. Now, laments are those sad prayers of despair, um, grief, sorrow, trouble, fear, loneliness, depression. Those are laments. And the psalmists are sometimes angry. Sometimes they are begging God to rescue them. Interestingly enough, laments are the second largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms. There's also psalms of trust and comfort, prayers of trust. And that's what we're going to see as we look at Psalm 16. There are psalms of confession, and next week we're going to look at a prayer of confession. There are also um, psalms of wisdom or meditation. These are prayers of deep truths about God, and we're going to look at several um, psalms of meditation. And then there are many, many, many psalms of praise, the largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms, and we're going to be looking at several of those as well. And as I said, um, all the psalms really um, have at least one verse in them that's a praise lifted up to the Lord. The psalms are a treasure chest of devotion and worship and prayer. They're the sighs and cries and songs of humans just like you and me. And yet, the very breath of heaven is in them. The very breath of heaven is in them. The psalms are beautiful, and they put us right in the center of God's presence. 
They bring us right into the center of his presence. So as we look at these psalms and come into the presence of God, may the honesty and the transparency of these prayers move us to call out to God with authentic and real words from our hearts more and more and more until we find ourselves praying often and honestly. That is my prayer for all of us this semester. So let's turn now to Psalm 16, and let's look at uh, this psalm today. This is a beautiful song of confidence in God. It's really beautiful. It has joy and hope, and there is so much emotion in these 11 verses. Okay, so the first word you see there, it says, a midcom of David, and that little title is called a superscription. Okay, now, as I look at my Bible, let me just say something real fast. Above that, in my Bible, it has, you will not abandon my soul. That is just a title that the editor of this Bible put in there. And some of your Bibles may have those two, kind of little um, headings above uh, the psalm. Those are, are edits from the, the person putting together this Bible. But the psalm, that little superscription, that was written by the psalmist. And not every psalm has it, but some psalms do, and when you see it, read it, because it's important. It, it has uh, information in it that might be helpful to you as you read the psalm. Oftentimes, it tells us the author, the person who wrote the psalm. Sometimes, um, it gives us a point in history when this psalm was written, and so we understand a little bit more about the circumstances and situations um, that the poem is talking about. Sometimes um, the superscription gives instruction to musicians or um, to the musical people on how to sing this psalm. And then sometimes we don't know what the superscription means, and that is the case with this Psalm 16. Now, we know that David wrote this psalm, but we don't really know the meaning of the word midcom. I've read several different things about what it might mean. It could mean mystery. And that makes sense to me because um, David's close, close relationship to the Lord is a mystery. Our relationship with the eternal heavenly father is a mystery. So it could mean mystery or treasure. And this psalm is a treasure. Or I've read that it could mean covered or engraved in gold. And I've read um, this psalm called the Golden Psalm, and after I've studied it, it has become a golden psalm to me. But no one is certain exactly what that word means, so let's just go on and begin reading uh, verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So the first thing we see is David calling out to the Lord. He's saying, preserve me, keep me safe. It's a petition. David is asking God for protection. Now, we don't know what the situation is. Maybe he is in the wilderness facing great danger. Maybe he is reigning and there's opposition as he reigns as king. Um, it's probably not written um, by David when he was a shepherd boy, but could be. But God here is, tells God, I am taking refuge in you, Lord. And when he makes that statement, it causes him to reflect on who God is and in his relationship with God, his good and great God, and his petition 
turns to confidence and trust in the Lord. And the whole rest of the psalm is David telling God about the confidence that he has in his Lord. Now, we're going to talk a lot about confidence, so I looked it up in the dictionary, and it is defined as an intimate and trusting relationship. And that is exactly what we're going to see with David and his relationship with the Lord. He's confident. David is saying here in these verses that there is nothing that compares to your goodness, Lord. There is um, nothing um, better than that. You are my highest treasure. His relationship with God is close and intimate and good. He's getting as close to God as he can getting just as close to him as he can. Reminds me, gives me a picture of a small child um, standing with their mom or their dad and maybe something com- someone comes up that's a stranger or an animal or they hear a loud noise, you've seen this, and they grab hold of their mom or dad just as hard as they can, just gets as close as they can to them. Maybe you've had that experience, or maybe you're the one that's grabbed hold of someone. Kind of reminds me of being in the movie theater with my husband, Scott. Something scary comes on the screen, loud noise, and I lean over and I grab onto him as tight as I can. Sometimes I'm so close to him, I'm almost in the seat with him, getting close to him. David is pressed up close to God. His relationship is so good. He's saying it doesn't get any better than this. No good apart from my relationship to you. This is the best relationship, Lord. Let's go on and look at verses three and four, and David's gonna talk about um, some more relationships. Verse three says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You know, David turns to um, the relationships of those people who love the Lord. He calls them saints. They are the excellent ones. They are God's people. And David's relationship with them gives him delight. Delight. They are excellent, splendid friends. You know, I hope everyone in this room has a godly friend, an excellent one who walks with the Lord. But if you do not, Ask God to bring you a godly friend. And if you do have a godly friend, or maybe more than one, thank God for them. Call out their names to the Lord. You know, we are called to love the world. We know that. We're called to love unbelievers, to give them the good news of Jesus' love, um, to serve them and to have relationships with them. But if your very best friends are all unbelievers, they can make your relationship with the Lord very difficult. That's what David is saying here in verse four. He's saying that not only are they missing out on God's blessings, but they are headed for disaster. Those who are chasing after other gods or idols, trying to find their security, put their trust in other things, they are headed for disaster. And David's saying, I'm not gonna even speak the names of those other gods. They're not gonna even be on my lips. David is not going to align himself with that group. Instead, he's gonna align himself with God's people. David is totally confident in God's goodness. And when we put our total trust and confidence in our good God, it brings us joy as well. 
So let's go on and look at verse five and six, verses five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David goes on here in these verses, and he is talking about his confidence in the Lord in the past and in the present. And it seems like his joy is gaining momentum as he considers God's generous blessings. His song is sweet, maybe getting a little louder, a little more joyful at this point. God's generous blessings we see here with these different words. Now, words are very important um, in the Psalms, and so you want to look at them carefully. Um, And I love uh, these words here. They're interesting, portion, cup, lot, inheritance. Um, So let's talk about them for a second. Um, It says God is his greatest treasure, his portion. Now, when we think of portion, it means um, part of a whole. I usually think of food. Um, usually a whole cake, and maybe you're thinking portion control, but I'm thinking a really large portion. Um, That's what I want from the cake. In fact, someone made, a friend made a um, vanilla wafer cake um, for me this uh, holiday season, and I couldn't get a big enough portion. It was delicious. So portion, David's saying that God is his portion, and in the Hebrew, it's two words that mean portion of my portion. David's really saying it's a superlative. It doesn't get any greater than this, Lord. You are my portion. You are the best. Nothing of greater value to David than the Lord. I want to feel like that. Nothing greater to me than the Lord. The next word we see here is cup. And cup signifies drink. We think of a satisfying thirst-quenching drink. Maybe think of Texas on a really hot day and you're drinking a cool glass of water. It's satisfying. Or maybe today as it was cold, you got a cup of coffee and that drink was satisfying to you, satisfying, refreshing. God is David's uh, satisfaction. He finds his satisfaction in the Lord. Then it says lot. You know, you hold my lot or maintain my lot in some translations. Sometimes we think of lot as our lot in life. How secure that God's holding our lot in life. How sovereign of the Lord. Sometimes um, lot um, makes us think of land, especially when we see the lines have fallen in beautiful, pleasant places. Um, I have a beautiful inheritance. We think of the Israelites going into the promised land. And we know that the leadership was going to divide up the land by casting lots and then give each one of the families their inheritance, their land, their lot. For David, he's saying the boundary lines are pleasant. His inheritance is beautiful. In God, I have received the best. We too have a beautiful inheritance in Christ. We have life eternal, one day to be with Jesus in glory. But we also have a great inheritance on this earth right now. We um, are promised in the scriptures that we can have that peace that passes understanding. Jesus says, give me your burdens and I will give you rest. For me personally, I think the beautiful inheritance that God has given to me. Um, I think of my children and my grandchildren. 
When my daughter was um, about to get married, a doctor told her that she might have difficulty getting pregnant. In fact, she may not be able to get pregnant. And I was reading this psalm the day that she called me to tell me that. And um, I wrote that date in my Bible right next to inheritance. And I prayed for the Lord, to the Lord for a great inheritance. He had given me a great inheritance, and I knew that. My daughter did have two children. I've written their names in my Bible with the... Um, the year of their birth, and then I've had two more children from my son. I've written their names in there. God has given me a great inheritance, not only with that, but with my work as a nurse, years that I have been able to be a nurse, and I love that. That is a beautiful inheritance from the Lord, and all the years that I have been with you studying God's word, that is a great inheritance to me, to study God's word with you, and then one day to be with him in glory, beautiful inheritance from the Lord. Let's go on and continue um, as David calls out more generous blessings from the Lord in verses seven and eight. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Okay, let me just say for a minute, I bless the Lord. We're gonna see that phrase in the Psalms, and when you see that, it means to speak well of God, in essence, to praise him. So David blesses the Lord who gives him counsel, God gives him direction and wisdom and instruction. And we too have God's counsel through his word, his written word, through the godly counsel of other believers. And then David says here, in the night, also my heart instructs me. Now, we're not sure what that means in the night. His heart, maybe David wakes up in the night and he brings his problems to the Lord asks God um, for help in that, and he receives God's counsel. Maybe he wakes up in the night and he feels that assurance, God is my confidence. Maybe you have woken up middle of the night and some trouble is heavy on your soul and you begin to pray to the Lord. Maybe a verse of scripture comes to your mind. Maybe a peace comes over you as you lift it up to the Lord. Or maybe you find later that you've just fallen asleep praying to the Lord in the middle of the night. Also, in verse eight, it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, David has God at his right hand, and that is a place of honor. So God is in the place of honor, and David will not be shaken. Being at your right hand also is a place of strength and security. You know, we talk about our right-hand man. That's the, that's the person that's gonna help us out. And in battle, your right-hand man was strong, and they would help protect you from whatever you were facing. God is David's right-hand man, and he says, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. David's confidence in God causes him to see God's generous blessings. And our confidence in God can lead us to contentment and to satisfaction and to, and to stability. We're secure. We will not be shaken. Let's go on and look at verses 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now these verses are a little tricky, but it seems that David's request for protection is answered. 
Somehow, David knows that now is not the time for his death. His relationship with the Lord is going to continue. And this fellowship of the Lord brings him so much joy that it seems like he can hardly contain it. He's bursting with joy. And the song here must get loud and beautiful and so happy as David realizes this and comes to know this. David um, knows that it's not his time for death, and so when he says um, Sheol there, that, that word has many meanings, but here it means the grave. David is not going to the grave uh, right now. His body is not gonna know corruption or decay. He is gonna be with the Lord. His joy as he fellowships with God. You know, when he says here, holy one, he's referring to himself. And I, I think it's kind of like a throwback to verse three where it talks about the saints, the excellent ones. David is saying he is one of the holy ones, one of the saints, and that God has a purpose for him. But also we know that David um, does die. One day David will die and he will be buried and his body will decay. And so this verse 10 also refers to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So David here is called a type of Christ. A type is a foreshadowing of a truth in the Old Testament that is revealed in the future in the New Testament. Um, we're going to see several types of Christ um, in the Psalms, so be looking for that. Um, we know that part of that is true because um, verse 10 is quoted in the New Testament by Peter and by Paul. They're quoted both in the book of Acts. They're on your verse sheet. I'm not going to read them right now, but they are saying... Um, to the people that they're speaking to, hey, we know that David died one day and he's buried in, in the tomb, but Jesus is the one who is resurrected. This is talking about Jesus who is resurrected from the grave. One quote um, said this, and I think it explains it very well. So the words of David transcend his own experience and become historically true in Christ. The words of David here transcend his own experience and become historically true in Christ. David is being delivered from death at this time, whereas Jesus, um, the, the resurrection from death is what he experiences. So David is not afraid of death here. It poses no threat to his wonderful fellowship with the Lord. He is going to continue to live. And this is true for believers today. Our physical death will not separate us from the marvelous fellowship we have with the Lord because Jesus conquered death and we will have live forever in his presence. Praise the Lord. We will live forever with him. So let's go on and just finish up with this verse 11 and it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now David is at the right hand of God. He's experiencing God's pleasure. I love that phrase because it reminds me of a movie. It's kind of old now. It got best picture in 1981. It was called Chariots of Fire. And the movie was, it's based on a true story. It was about two men that 
uh, were training for the Olympics in 1924. They were going to run in the Olympics, and so they're training to run. And the, the one guy, his name was Eric Lydell. He was Scottish, and he was a devout Christian. His parents were missionaries in China, and he was one day going to go back and be a missionary in China. But first, he was going to train and run in the Olympics. He felt like running glorified God. And so one day, his sister uh, came to him. He had missed a prayer meeting or something, and so she's kind of critiquing him, and she accuses him of not caring about God anymore. And he says, I do, and I'm going to continue on with um, mission work, but first I'm going to run this um, race. And then he says this line, some of you may remember, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. That's what David is saying here. I'm in the presence of God and I feel his pleasure, the pleasure of the Lord. Knowing God, he has the path of life. And in God's presence is joy. Joy, abundant joy, joy that is full. We too have that overwhelming joy as believers. It reminds us of those words of Jesus in John 10, 10, when Jesus says, I came that they, that's you, may have life and have it abundantly. I have come that they may have life and life to the full for us. What a beautiful song Psalm 16 is. What a beautiful song. Um, we too can experience life and joy in the presence of our Lord. So put your confidence in God. Call out to him. Talk to him. Talk to him all the time, every day, and experience life to the full, life abundant, now, today, and forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are our refuge. Father, we put our confidence in you for you are our greatest treasure. We love you, Lord. We put our confidence in you that we might not be shaken. Father, we want to talk to you more and more. I just pray, Lord, that you would lead us into talking, conversations with you as we study these psalms. And I pray that for every woman in this room. Lord, may they find you in these psalms. May they talk to you as they read these psalms. We love you, Lord. Bless us. Ask this in Jesus' name, amen.